I have always loved that song. Always loved that song. Amen. Okay, if somebody could help us with the lights real quick over there. I'm going to ask you to turn with me to Psalm 33. And um, as far as kids worship, uh, you guys, okay, follow Randy Duggar. Kids worship, follow Randy. There we go. All right. This is a beautiful psalm. Now, you realize this is kind of the worship manual and the worship book and the song book that they used uh, in, in these early days. Even, you know, the, the Hebrews, the Jews, all the way into the early church. And that this is inspired by God, it is Word of God preserved for us today. So this is powerful. And I love the way that it's about the sovereignty and the majesty of just who God is. Now, remember... As we're thinking about, uh, we think about the, what this special time of year means for people in this country, uh, that history, history is actually his story. He is God over it all. Um, God did not just set things in motion and back off and just let it run on its own. Because of the love relationship that God himself desired with part of his creation, we know that he made human beings, and to some degree the angels as well, with a, he made human beings with a soul, including a mind, will, and emotions, because love is a choice. He didn't want to program that in us like he did the animals with instinct and, you know, the plants and everything just to do what they're programmed to do. He wanted to have that relationship, and it does demand choice. And in God's sovereignty, he made space in there for our responsibility to make choices because that's what love does. God chose to love us no matter what, but he gave us the freedom to decide, are we going to listen to him? Are we going to serve him? Are we going to submit to him? Are we going to let him be our God? Are we going to reject him? And as you know the story, some of the angels rejected, some of the angels rebelled, but then on earth, in this perfect place God had created, and he made space for that, the first man and woman decided they wanted to be like God, they wanted to be their own God, and they sinned. And it brought imperfection. It brought the curse of sin down on the whole universe, not just this planet. Then that the earth was also cursed and that our flesh was cursed and that we have become sinners because of that and sin invaded. But God already knew that possibility was real and God knew that the risk of love was worth it. And he had already decided, even before he did any of this, we find out in scriptures, that he had a plan, a plan of salvation, listen, and a plan of forgiveness, a plan of mercy and grace, a plan of redemption for human beings. God already. And so the Bible is the unfolding story of God's, it's the unfolding story of God's love and redemption to reverse the curse. And it ends up with a new heavens and a new earth and God's people living in a perfect place New heavens, new earth, the new Jerusalem, which at this point we would call heaven, all together in this perfection and this fellowship and this love that goes on forever and ever. Now that's our reality, folks. We're caught in this world, and our problem is, is too many of us, we live for the here and the now and the right, the right here, right now. Very little of your life is even going to be lived on planet Earth as it is. 
Because the Bible says that once you're conceived, human beings were made for eternity. So you've got this entire vast, we can't even fathom it. And we spend all of our time worrying about this little space of a moment that we're here. And we don't think about and plan for and get excited about the forever that we have. This is all about perspective, isn't it? And one thing the psalmist is trying to do is to help us get our perspective so it helps us make better decisions today and have more joy today, even in the midst of troubles and trials. Because guess what, folks? Can I throw a little grammar on you here? Because it just sounds good to me to say it like this. It ain't going to always be like this. Do I need to interpret? Ain't going to always be like this. It's not going to be like this forever. This is very temporary. And God has gone to a lot of trouble to redeem, to save you and I, as sorry and as sinful as we are. He's got a forever plan for you. It isn't just to get you out of earth into heaven. It is a forever of love and of fellowship and of joy and of worship of Him that we can't even fathom. And He wants to give you strength for this day. And here's the thing that comes to what this time of year is about for us, is that we live in a place where at least still we have some freedoms. We're losing liberty in a lot of ways, and there are a lot of reasons for that. Uh, just really quick, as you turn from God's truth, and you turn from serving Him and applying His truth, which is universal, you always lose liberty. When we decide to do things our own way, and turn from God's truth, whether you believe it or not, whether you believe in it or not, you always lose freedom. Jesus said that he came to set us free. His truth is what set us free. Anytime we turn from this, we lose freedom. And as we turn from this, human beings become more wicked and more vile, even though we might try to, 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 to not identify that. We try not to think of it as that. We think we're just doing our thing. But what happens is, is governments have to grow to control us. And more laws had to be made to control us because we're doing horrible things to each other. And I read a couple of weeks ago, I don't have it up there, where, where Jesus said that, toward, speaking toward the end times, that lawlessness will increase, will abound. And that's absolutely what we see happening with all the crime and all the greed and all the lies and all the murder and all of the debauchery that is invading our society. So here the psalmist calls us to worship. Uh, he says in verse 1, I'm reading from the English Standard Version, ESV, and it says in verse 1, are you there? Look at it. I want to just absorb this word. He says, shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits or is fitting for the upright. Praise befits the upright. Now, the word there, and I'm not a Hebrew scholar at all, but the word there in the Hebrew for shout literally means to shout. It's not just a word for worship and praise that could be. It's actually the word shout, and it's a joyful shout. And so he's calling it. So this right here, as you see this psalm, and, and as they use it in worship, this would be the worship leader calling the people to worship. This, is, this verse is the call to worship. So we have the call to worship. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. 
And so this is how they're going to do it. They're going to give thanks, verse 2. Give thanks to the Lord. And then calling the instruments. And so this is the powerful thing, as you see, especially all through the Old Testament, that all the instruments, stringed instruments, wind instruments, percussion instruments, were all used in praising the Lord. And that's what he says here. Give thanks or give praise and this type of, of, thank, of praise can often be in thanksgiving to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing. So we're playing the instruments. There are stringed instruments mentioned here, the lyre and the harp. What's the difference? Not really sure about that. Uh, I think that the, the, the lyre has got curved. It's curved. The harp has straight, you know, the way the strings are on there. I don't know, something like that. But I'm sure they can make a lot of different sounds and play them. And so, so basically, he's talking about, and that's why, yeah, he says, do this. He said, with your, so we're praising with the instruments. We're using them. Besides our voices, we're making noise and harmonies to praise God, to thank God. And then we're also lifting our voices, he says, sing to him a new song. And even if it's a song you already know, you want to sing it in a new way. I love it when we do that. We take an old song that some of us grew up with and, 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 and we've heard it so much we're almost numb to it, but we sing it in a new way and it has a new life and a new freshness. freshness. And then we, or we sing a new song to the Lord. And he says, play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. Oh, man. So get this scene. They're playing the instruments and they're playing it with skill. He said, play skillfully. That's why sometimes I say, make that thing sing. Make that, make that kindle, you make that guitar, praise God. Amen. <sighs> Basically, the psalmist is saying, you need to play with skill and get down. Something like that. I don't know. And, and give it all you got. And then so there's, they're getting after it. They're playing and, and praising with the instruments. And they're singing. And they're singing a meaningful song that's fresh. And they're also shouting. So there's shouts of joy. There's thanksgiving. There's, and it's all coming together in a beautiful harmony and melody. That's what he's calling them to. And so the thing is, is we're talking about this. Our focus is, first of all, and I'm sorry that's so dark. I should have tested it, but it didn't look like that on my computer. The significance of praise, if you can read that. The significance. It's a call to worship. Praise, thanksgiving from the righteous. Did you notice that? He said, shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Well, I got a problem there because I don't feel very righteous. And I got a problem there. Because the scripture tells us, Isaiah tells us, that all of our righteousness is like what? Filthy rags in God's sight. So whenever I'm able to praise him because I've made him, being righteous, means to be, it means to be made right with God. Sins forgiven, being in tune with God, in line with God, and that is what is right. If you, you know, even if you're working in construction, you want something to be right. You've got to write something. You want it to be in line. You want it to be plumb. You want it to be square. This is when our lives are square with God. How can that happen? Well, already God, see, this is the thing. All throughout the Old Testament, God may have dealt with humanity in a little different manner than in the church age under grace, but God's grace overflows throughout the whole thing. The only way we're made righteous is because of God's grace, and the only righteousness that is any good is the righteousness he provides for us. I have none of my own. 
all of my righteousness and all my good deeds that I could do to try to prove or earn anything are like filthy rags. So the righteousness I have is the righteousness that he gives me by his grace. It's the righteousness that we know now comes through. We have even more to praise him for than what the psalmist had in those days because we know now the fulfillment of all of this is through Jesus Christ and because of what Jesus did on the cross and my sins being placed on him and him paying them in full and then his righteousness being deposited into my account as Paul talks about in Romans 4, imputed, credited, reckoned to my account. I have that righteousness because, so because of this, because I can be made right with God right here, right now at this very moment. If we confess our sins, 1 John 1, 9, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all what? Unrighteousness. Because of this, Why wouldn't I want to praise? Why wouldn't I want to shout? Why wouldn't we want the choir to be singing? And that's kind of the picture here. The choir is there. The leader is calling them to worship. The choir is singing. The congregation and the peoples are singing and praising. And and to have his righteousness, why wouldn't we want to praise? The significance of praise is because of the righteousness that he gives us and because of who he is. This is what he wants to do. This is what he wants to give us. You know, uh, this is part of the problem in our churches. We just kind of become mechanical, running through the motion, doing things. We're not pausing to just be overwhelmed by who he is, to thank him for who he is and what he's done. And part of worship just means to be overwhelmed and in awe of God. The actual word means to fall down before him. We humble ourselves, so there's humility. There's, there's just being, and, and you'll see this here. Maybe sometimes we're not reaching the hard to reach. And the hard to reach among us aren't just those people who are living in filth down there and somebody else's broken down, torn down trailer house that doesn't even have electricity on it, doing drugs and living with fleas and filth. That's, that's not necessarily all that are hard to reach. I mean, there are people who have let themselves get into bondage in so many ways with addictions and problems and diseases and everything else. There's that. But also hard to reach are those who think that they're okay without God. Those who are, think they're self-made. Those who are super intellectual and successful and maybe they have education. Maybe they have good jobs. They have money. They have things. I want to tell you some of those people are actually the hardest people to reach because their bondage is a different kind of bondage. They're a bondage because sometimes when you're in the other type of bondage, you know you need help. You know you're desperate. You know you're scraping the bottom. But so over here, they think, I've got it all. I don't really need God. In fact, they get to a point that, you know, even believing in God is inconvenient. And they reject him. Or even if they believe in God, you know, good old God's over here. I want him, you know, in my hip pocket. If I need him, I can find him. But otherwise, stay out of my way. I've got it. I've got this. I've got this. <laughs> we kind of have that independent spirit, don't we? That's part of our sinful nature. I get so tickled. All my family, all of our family, is except for Gillian, of course, and Aaron, are down in Arkansas with Dad. Um, that's kind of when our family gets together. Tomorrow would be Mom and Dad's anniversary. And um, they have a tradition in their church down there where they always do the uh, birthdays and anniversary before they start worship. They have the same jar that you go up and put a penny for every year in. Uh, I, I'm, when I was one years old, my mom carried me up there and I put a penny in that jar and I did it growing up. Uh, it's the same jar that my mom put her first penny in. 
as you know, growing up in that church. I don't know how old that. They've got a different jar, but they've still got the original one. Uh, but um, it's, a, it's, it's just a, it's a tradition that's a big thing. I mean, people that don't come to church hardly ever will probably show up on the day of their birthday anniversary because they can go up there and put their money in. It's just, it's a thing, you know. Um, but uh, dad wants to put, some, put the money in because of their anniversary. He wants to be there to celebrate it. Even though she's not here, she's in heaven. Um, and that's kind of a, a neat, you know, and an awesome thing. But, but all of our family, except for Clarissa and I, are, are in, in, and Gillian are down there and uh, enjoying that. Uh, and and just, just the, the freedom. And, and so this time of year is always special for us because of the anniversaries, because of the anniversary of uh, declaring our independence. But what was that all about? It was all about freedom. And what have we done with that freedom? See, Jesus said, to whom much is given, much is required, Right? We've been given a lot, folks. And I want to tell you that a lot of our generations haven't done a lot with it. I mean, when you think about it, as we worship God, and we have the freedom to worship, we have the freedom to do this, we're the people. And sure, it's true that this nation has sent missionaries out all over the world. And uh, as Europe became one of the leading places, the Reformation and the gospel going out from there, it shifted to this new land that God had kind of kept a secret from the world for a good long time, and then it was colonized and then populated and then became a nation. And, and not just, when I say America, we've got to be careful there because we find out that this is the United States of America in which we live. If you're in Brazil and start talking about being American, they'll get right in your face and say, I'm an American too. Some people in Canada talk about, I'm a North American. I'm an American. So, you know, sometimes it can be a little, we get a little self-focused, don't we? Think just, you know, about it. it's all about us and it's not necessarily. But because of the price that many pay, pre, paid, we have freedoms uh, to excel and to study, to grow, to pursue serving God and sharing the gospel like a lot of other places don't have. And the fact is we've done a sorry job of doing it. We've been given a lot, and we've done very little with it. And so it's not just the nation. Yes, God judges nations. We're going to see that. God judges peoples as they reject him. They, they, are, they just don't have his blessings. One way God judges us, judges us is we just don't have his blessings on us. When we get our life out of line with God, how is God going to bless that? So we, we, we begin to cancel out the blessings that God would have on us. And so when we lose blessing, uh, we have nothing left but judgment, okay? This is happening around. Um, a lot of people aren't even aware of the fact that uh, we don't spend enough time seeking God and worshiping God and praying and being filled with Him before we go and do what we're going to do, even in serving Him. Um, everything that happens must be in the backdrop of worship and honor and praise to Almighty God. And that's what I see here. This is where this is. You might not realize, but, you know, a lot of our founding fathers, a lot of them weren't great Bible-believing Christians. We can try to fantasize that they all were, but many of them weren't. But even the ones that weren't did believe in sovereignty of God. Some of them were deist. And things like that. Some of them, may, but many of them were great people of faith. But even ones like Benjamin Franklin, whose whose faith's a little complicated, kind of a deist, kind of believed in God, but yet many are unaware of the fact that the Declaration of Independence didn't come into being until there was a day of fasting and prayer appointed by the Continental Congress. It was kept 
I mean, here's, here's, a, here's another thing that happened. Before, uh, it, it was kept by all the, the colonies on May 17th. May 17th, 1776. Everybody, a day of fasting and prayer. And at that time in our history, many more people, even if they weren't solid believers, gave much more reverence and recognition to the truth of God and the Word of God than what people do today. Before the Constitution was adopted, tempers had exploded. It seemed like everyone would go back to their respective colonies without a Constitution for federal government. And because we're not just a democracy, we're a republic where we have representatives. We don't just vote for somebody to be the leader. We have representation of, of all of us that's supposed to be that way. But it was actually Benjamin Franklin who called the First Continental Congress to get on their knees on the floor of the Constitution Hall and ask God to guide them in writing a Constitution. And after that, uh, they came together and they wrote one of the most significant documents of all time in all history. So it's amazing how we think today that we're going to fuel revival and change without prayer. And the part of the big problem is, is so many Christians in this nation think just because I'm from the United States of America and I'm a Christian that somehow, uh, you know, uh, is some kind of magic thing. But the point is, is so many people have become a political activist instead of prayerful worshipers. It's all about this fight and this activity, and it's not the heart. And all it's doing is causing all kinds of fractures, and in some of, much of it is actually becoming a roadblock to sharing the gospel with people that are lost. I mean, I've been in places and heard sermons, and, and you know, they may be preaching the truth from the Word of God about certain sins and certain things, but they talk about some of these people in our country that are doing this and doing that, and they're angry, and they're just so they're just so angry and they're just so mad. And yeah, sin ought to bother. Sin ought to anger us, right? But you have to understand, I felt compelled to go up to the guy after and say, you know, you know uh, this, a lot of the things I see people doing and the way that they're living and, and everything is, is troubling and upsetting and, and it's anger. it can make you somewhat angry. Uh, hopefully it's righteous indignation, but it turns into something that's not so righteous. Because I said, you know, all these people that we so, you guys are so mad about, you do realize that's the mission field, do you not? You do realize those are the people we're supposed to be reaching and loving and serving and sharing the good news with. You do realize that, huh? They're not the enemy. Our fight is against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness and high places. It's a spiritual battle. These are people that Jesus died for, but they're never going to get to know him as long as you and I think that they are the enemy. Now, the enemy might be using them, but they're not the enemy. Satan is the enemy. Sometimes we get so confused with all of that. So this is it, the, the significance of praise. But as you go on in this psalm, you see then the sovereignty of God's word. Because now, what are we going to base all this on? Look at verse 4. Are you with me? I hope you still have this psalm, Psalm 33 open. For the word of the Lord. So we're praising him and worshiping him. For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. God's word is truth. It never changes. You want to know a little more about that word of truth that he's given us? The word of the Lord is upright. It's perfect. 
The word of the Lord is, and, and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. And the earth is full of his steadfast love. That steadfast love, that's his mercy. That's his grace. The, and I don't know Hebrew and I can't speak it properly, but hased, hased. This is a word that you find all through the Old Testament. And it's his undeserved favor. It's his steadfast love. It's mercy. It's grace. We see his hased all the way through. He has that. That's what he said. The earth is full of it. His grace. The undeserved kindness. The steadfast love. That's our God. Oh yeah, even the Old Testament version, <laughs> as some would say. His word never changes. I want you to think about this as he goes on. This is the choir leading this as we're meditating and singing and worshiping with this. And he says in verse 6, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made. Did you hear that? By the breath of his mouth all their host. So this same word of the Lord that is breathed out. See, because when you speak, your breath, your breath comes over your vocal cords. Paul later tells us that all scripture is inspired by God. That's our English word. The Greek word is theonoustos. And the word literally means God breathed. It's as if God spoke and it's the breath come over the, it's the very breath of God. That's what the psalmist is saying thousands of years earlier. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. By the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. Do you know what the hosts are? It's all the stars, all the galaxies, all of it. Now, I've had a lot of people tell me, how could we be so conceited? As now we begin to look at the universe and see how vast it is. Oh, how about just, and hey, whew, some of this is actually theory because we've not actually been outside of it and looked back and measured it. This is the best we can do, okay? But even that, see what science does is it comes along and thinks God's thoughts after him. True science and the Bible always go hand in hand. And all it will do is cause you to be in more awe of God than you can even imagine. Think about this. So I've got a little picture here. And... Um, this is like what we think our galaxy looks like. Milky Way, you realize that our solar system, we're, okay, how many of you know we're on planet Earth, <laughs> okay? Third rock from the sun, okay? And, okay, and we have a solar system. I'm not going to name all the planets, although I could. Uh, but the sun is what has the gravitational pull that we all are orbiting. The sun is actually a what? It's a star. When he talks about all the hosts, I mean, his word, the heavens were made, and then the host, that's the stars and the galaxies. So he's talking about the entire universe here. Spoke it. Breath come across his mouth. Boom, there it is. So this is what we, we, we think our solar system is kind of like. And when you see this, you realize that we're just a small part of that uh, galaxy. Our solar system is. Um, we've seen pictures now with the space telescopes and everything of some of these, what we thought were stars were actually gal distant galaxies or solar systems. And we know that the speed of light, that light travels from them and from our sun, it travels at, uh, real quick, somebody give me the speed of light. Well, see, the speed of light, light travels at 186,000 miles per second. Seconds. 
uh, speed of light. So the stars other than our sun are so distant that we measure in light years, not just second, but light years. That refers to how far light travels at that speed in one year. All right, let's break it down. Are you ready to break it down? If you could travel at the speed of light, you would be able to circle the Earth's equator 7.5 times in one second. So how far does light travel in a year? Multiply 186,000 by the number of seconds in one year, and there's your answer. Real quick, somebody give it to me. <laughs> it's somewhere like 5.88 trillion miles. I mean, and, and just to go from one edge, they think, of our, our galaxy, the Milky Way, to the other, 100,000 light years. And some of the closest stars are 4.4 light years away. That means the light that I'm seeing from that star actually came off of it 4.4 years ago. And it took that long traveling at that speed to get to me. How vast is this? And so some people will say, this little tiny, tiny dot here that's our sun in this vast solar system, how can we be so conceited as to think that we're the only ones here? Well, as far as we know, now some of you may have seen Bigfoot and UFOs all in the same weekend. However, uh, you know, there, there, are, there are unexplained things that happen, but, but, but you know, I, I can't tell you. You know, I, I've never personally met one. Thought I did once, but it wasn't. Um, anyway, the thing is this. Yeah, if that's true, that we're the only ones, if we are the only ones here. Um, this God that we serve, it's absolutely nothing for him to create all of this vastness just to show his awesomeness to that tiny microscopic speck in the middle of this tiny galaxy in this vast universe. That's just God being God. Yeah. So that's what he's talking about here. And that's what he wants you to know, that the same power that spoke all of that into existence is the same word that we say is true. It's the same power. Created the universe and all of these things. So it's the breath of his mouth that spoke it. It's, it's his word that we read today, the same word of God. So verse 8, he says, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Or verse 6, By the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. Look at verse 7. He gathers the water of the sea as a heap. He puts the deep in storehouses. Verse 8. Listen, are you ready? Are you, are you listening? I don't think you are. Are you? Okay. Let all the earth fear and reverence the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. When's the last time you've contemplated this to the point that you stand in awe and reverence and tremble before Him? We just don't get it. This is our God. Verse 9, For He spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. That's the word of the Lord that we're talking about here. This is the real word of the Lord. So when we depart from God's word, God's truth, we always lose liberty. We always reap a bitter harvest. Sin always enslaves and binds. Now, 
One reason why so many maybe in this culture and others want to get rid of God's word is they think if they get rid of God's word, it'll please them up to be their own gods and just live any way they please. Notice this. You don't just break God's word because it is set. Are you hearing me? None of us are an exception. It is set. It is always true. And God's principles are always true. That means if we break them, they end up breaking us. And that's what we see happening in our lives. That's what we see happening in the world today. God's principles are true. You know, uh, it's not possible to outsmart God. I saw somebody talking about um, not long ago, they saw a neat little sign in a principal's office that stated, in event of nuclear attack, fire, earthquake, or mass shooting, the ban on prayer is temporarily lifted. When it comes down to that, everybody all of a sudden. You know, they used to say, Daryl used to remind us that there were no atheists in the foxholes. Well, there's a reason why people want to keep the word of God out is because people want to be their own God, do their own thing. And we see that today. Or they want to rewrite it to where, you know, and if you begin to pick and choose and make it say what you want it to say, then you've basically fashioned your own religion. And you're, even though you may claim to worship God, you're kind of the God of it, right? I'm glad this is unchanging from beginning to end. So the only, only God's truth can make you free. That's why Jesus said in John 8, 32, I've already alluded to this verse, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Uh, not just that, but when he asked the Father, praying for us before he goes to the garden and before he's arrested, before he goes to the cross, he asked him to, to make us holy, to sanctify us, to set us apart by his truth. What is that truth? Your word is truth. So you see how important and how powerful the word of God is. And then the last thing is not only the significance of his praise and, and not only the significance of his praise um, that we, we talked about the sovereignty of his word, but we also see his supervision over the nations, his supervision over the nations. It's the same power and the same wisdom of God that the nations, that's all the peoples, think they can stand against. Now, a lot of times in, the, in like the old King James and things, it'll call, say, heathens. Well, that was anybody that wasn't uh, Israel, okay? And so he's talking about all the peoples out there. The, the psalmist has overwhelmed our minds with the greatness of God's power. Now he says it's that same power and wisdom that the nations think that they can stand against and that people think they can stand against. You can't stand against it. Not in the end. And here's the neat thing. He, say, he goes on to say uh, that the Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the people. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. Did you hear that? God's counsel stands forever. He brings all the plans of people, all things that are going in Russia, going on in Ukraine, going on in China, going on in South America, going on in Africa. All of these things are going to come to an end. But God's plan will stand forever. And then that's when he says, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. Now right there, the psalmist is actually talking about Israel. God chose us. We didn't choose him. He chose us. And that we're his heritage. But guess what? God's plan was that, and he told Abraham, that it would be a blessing to all the what? All the nations. God's glory is for the nations. And that's always been God's plan. Remember the story above all story is the story of his glory, and his glory is for the nations. 
But now through Christ, we all come to him. You're a part of that nation. Not because you're born in America or you're born in Israel or you're born... It's because you're born again through Jesus Christ. Here's how Paul says it. In Philippians 3.20, he says, Our citizenship is actually in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm, I'm, I'm a pilgrim here, but my, my real citizenship is there. I have an inheritance there, and I'm going to be there forever. This is exactly what he's trying to tell us. Those who are saved are like a holy nation before him. Look what Peter says. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. This is one of my favorite passages. He says, but you. He's talking about those who have come to Christ. It doesn't matter whether you're Jew, Gentile, whether, you're he, whether you've been a heathen or what. Because you've come to Christ. He says, but you are a chosen race. He's talking to a lot of different ethnic groups there and races. But we're all one race in Christ. Eh? A royal priesthood. Priest and royal, priest and king. You're like kings and priest. You're a holy nation. You've been separated out. You belong to him. A people for his own possession. Why? Because he purchased it, purchased us himself. That you may, why? Why has he done all this? That we may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Are we proclaiming his excellencies? Next verse, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have hased. You have his mercy. You have received it. Now you're part of his family. You're part of that heritage. And blessed are you. This is the holy nation. And the good news about it is, is, is this nation in which we live, If we are, here's what God's called us to be. Now, you know, Paul talked about the duties of a citizen. He even talked about submitting to the authorities in Romans 13. But however, I'm, I'm sure if Paul would have had a chance to vote, he'd have voted against Nero. Huh? So we need to exercise the rights that have been bought for us. But what we need to do is you're not going to go vote. We're not going to protest. We're not, we're not going to do anything else to change it. Here's what we're gonna, how we're going to change it. By being salt and being light. By being salt in a decaying world and light in a dark world. That's how it happens, folks. That's how we change our community. That's how we change our state. That's how we change our nation. That's how we change the world. It's that way. We've received God's mercy. And so this is what some of those who went before us believed. It has an impact. Let me just close with a quote. Jedediah Morse. His son, Samuel Morse, is the one who helped invent the telegraph and the Morse code. Oh, Morse, oh, wow, isn't that weird? Isn't that a coincidence? Morse code. Eh, same guy. He said this, To the kindly influence of Christianity, we owe that degree of civil freedom. What's he saying there? He's saying that when we go by the truth of the Word of God, we actually gain freedom. When we begin to do our own thing and break the Word of God, we lose freedom. This is what he's saying. And this was a man who was a leader and a preacher during the time of the revolution. He said, um, and political and social happiness which mankind now enjoys. This is the key. It's the influence of Christ. He says this, whenever the pillars of Christianity shall be overthrown, our present Republican form of government and all the blessings that flow from them must fall with them. I think we're seeing that happen in the day that we live in. And the reason why 
is that people have turned their back on who God is and they don't know him. They reject him. They reject his authority. And part of the reason they're doing that is they're not seeing any real truth of God evidenced in the lives of the people who claim to follow him. And none of us are perfect, but this is where we carry on the light. Here's the thing. Some people went to a lot of trouble and a lot of people died so that we could have freedom that we have today. I'd like for us to keep it for the purpose of being able to worship freely and serve God and spread the gospel and make disciples for Jesus Christ all around the world. That's the purpose. Not just so that we can have a chicken in every oven and a car in every garage and a house and a picket fence. The American dream and the kingdom of God are not the same thing. But because we have so much here, we have opportunity to impact so much around us. Let's go out there with the truth, with holiness, with love, with grace. And let's proclaim it. I'm just going to close out this psalm now. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of all of them and observes all their deeds. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation. The war horse would be like any of our sophisticated weapons. For by its great might, it cannot rescue. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him. On those who hope in, guess what? His hased. They hope in his steadfast love. That's the only hope I've got is the love and mercy of God. That he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in him. Do we have gladness today? Because we trust in his holy name, the name above all names. Now it closes, the song is about over and it closes with a prayer in verse 22. Let your steadfast, not talking about the Lord, it's talking to the Lord here. Let your said. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. And as long as his love is on us, we're filled with hope, and it's all in him. Pray with me, Father.